Well, good evening. Not morning, good evening. Uh, this evening we'll be uh, taking a look primarily, our primary text is going to be from Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. Uh, that's actually part of the Sermon on the Mount. And we'll be talking about prayer and fasting. And as we, we talk about prayer and fasting this evening, I do want to share with you, fasting has, has actually been something that has been a recurring theme for me over the past uh, couple years. And not necessarily because I've just regularly been uh, taking on uh, fasts, but I've had multiple opportunities to, to, to preach and teach on fasting. And I, I think it's, it's interesting sometimes how God works and brings things about. And as, as we look at this, uh, this passage tonight and we talk about prayer and fasting, I want us to be thinking forward a little bit. So twice a year, each year, our church has a dedicated time of prayer that we call the 24 hours of prayer. And during that 24-hour period, we have sign-up sheet downstairs by the office, and we ask people to sign up uh, either in groups or, or, or with friends or with total strangers to come and pray uh, at, in a group for one hour. And you fill your one-hour slot, and we try to have all 24 hours filled so that we can have a full 24-hour period where our church is eagerly, earnestly seeking God in prayer, uh, praying about things that are going on in our world, things that are going on in our nation, our community, our ministries of the church, the lives of the church members, but just earnestly seeking God in prayer. And as we look forward to our next 24-hour period coming, the pastors would like to encourage the church to prayerfully consider including a fast along with our next 24 hours of prayer. And not just doing it for this once, but looking to include fasting along with our time of prayer going forward. Scripture specifically links these two together. We see prayer and fasting multiple times in Scripture. And I think it's, it's, it's right that we look at Scripture for the examples of how to rightly uh, give and how rightly to pray and how rightly to fast. And if we look in the scripture in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, going back just to the beginning of chapter six, we see just that in Jesus' teaching. He gives us how to give, how to pray, and how to fast. So tonight I'm going to focus primarily uh, our time and, and, and our discussion will be on the fasting side. But remember, we're putting the two together. As we pray and as we seek the Lord, we want to do so with prayer and with fasting. So in order for us to have a right understanding of what do I mean by fasting, it's good for us to start out with some, some definitions and understand that our world doesn't view, our world doesn't understand fasting the same way that we do. As a matter of fact, fasting is not a uniquely Christian thing. Uh, many other religions, people groups, political and social uh, causes utilize fasting. And we need to understand a little bit of the history and how they think fasting is supposed to work so that we can then contrast it with what Christian fasting is. One of the religious groups in the world that has undertaken fasting and has used fasting very much as uh, a political uh, force is the Hindu people in, in India. Some of you might remember Gandhi and Gandhi's fasting. Uh, other people have followed in his footsteps to try to bring pressure onto 
the, the, the government over there to protect things such as freedoms or such things as environmental causes. And uh, as recently as uh, last year, there was one of their religious leaders that fasted for 111 days straight uh, and subsequently died, fasted until till death. Um, that's not necessarily the type of fasting that we're saying we want to undertake for 24 hours of prayer. We wouldn't say, hey, we're, we're going to fast for 111 days and pass away right after 24 hours of prayer ends, right? That's not the way that we want to grow the church, right? Um, we do want to draw some distinctions, however, uh, because their fasting and their motivation for fasting is not what we see in Scripture. There's also a movement that promotes fasting in the health and fitness industry, uh, the concept of intermittent fasting or periodic fasting or fasted state cardio. You hear all these, these buzz terms that are going around. And people who are pr promoting that claim that if a person fasts for a specific number of hours or, or before or after meals, that when they are uh, following a specific diet plan, an exercise plan, that it helps uh, increase their, their weight loss and gives them additional energy. And, and obviously when we look at these things, we would see that we're not following Terry Crews we're following Jesus Christ, right? We're, we're, not, we're not undertaking a fast as we fast and pray to become physically fit or lose weight. Those are, those are not the right type of motivations for us. So now that we've seen what, what Christian fasting is, is not and, and what we should not do, uh, let's take a look at God's word and, and we'll begin discussing what is Christian fasting, how, how do we pray and fast, and I want to lay out some, some things for us to think about and sort of a a guide for us as, as we look at, fa at fasting biblically. So Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. Whenever you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites, for they make their faces unattractive so that their fasting is obvious to people. Truly, I tell you that they have their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting isn't obvious to others, but to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who, is in, who sees in secret will reward you. Let's pray. Lord God, we pray that you would be with us as we study your word. We pray that you would help us, Lord, to understand what you would have us to learn. We pray that you would help us to put it into practice, Lord, and we pray that you would um, remove distractions from our hearts and minds. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So first, I want us to see this evening that Christian fasting focuses our attention on God. So as I mentioned, when we look into the Sermon on the Mount in the beginning of chapter 6, we see how to give, how to pray, and then how to fast. And there's, there's a statement that, that Jesus makes at the beginning here uh, of our text tonight. It says, and when you fast... And then again in verse 17, it says, but when you fast. Those when statements are assumptive. They're, they're, they're actually presumptive. They're, they're, they, they presume that we are going to be doing them. Uh, if you look at the discussions on giving to the needy and, 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 and other things that he talks about, it's, it's when. They're assuming that as Christians, we're going to be doing these things. So just as Jesus says, when you give to the needy or when you pray, he says, when you fast. And that when assumes that Christians will be engaging in the activities. They're not necessarily if statements, but in fact, they are the affirmative, assuming that we will be following them. 
Christians, as contrasting to the world, define fasting as temporarily setting aside some of the good gifts that God has given us in order that we may focus more intently on God himself, ignoring the good gifts for the great giver. Using that definition will help us uh, look at fasting in the right light, and we will also be able to understand that fasting applies to a lot more than just food. Most of the time when we think about fasting, we think about food, we think about giving up what we're going to eat or what we're going to drink, but fasting technically can apply to lots of other things. For our young people, fasting might be no video games. Gasp. Please don't say that. But that's true. Fasting can apply to things that are good things that are given to us, but we set them aside in order to focus on God, to focus more intently on God, to bear our heart to him. And as we set aside, whether it be food or whether it be something else that's in our lives, we're not setting that aside and creating a void. We're setting that good thing aside so that we can fill our space that we have created with God, with time for prayer, time for reading in his word. That's the difference between Christian fasting and the world's fasting. We're not seeking it selfishly. We're, we're seeking it so that we can see God's will done. We're seeking it so God can show himself. We're seeking God in our fasting. John Piper, uh, in writing about Christian fasting, says that Christian fasting comes from confidence in Christ, is sustained by the power of Christ, and aims at the glory of Christ. And that over every Christian fast should be written the words from Philippians 3.8, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. So we see as we set aside those things, we focus our attention on God. Secondly, Christian fasting avoids hypocrisy. We look back in our, our, our text, in verse 16 it says, Whenever you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites, for they make their faces unattractive, so that their fasting is obvious to people. Evidently, some had adopted the practice of fasting in appearance only. Um, doing the outward things that would allow people to think that they were fasting, but maybe not even potentially participating in the fast heavily promoting the fact that they were fasting if they were. Instead of being motivated to fast by a heart that seeks to know God and honor God, they were motivated by a heart that was selfish and desired that honor, desired that praise from men. As we think about it and as we pray about it and as we consider undertaking fasting ourselves, those cannot be our motives. We cannot fast in order to tell people that we're fasting. If that's our motive, we're missing the whole point. We're missing, we're missing everything. They sought to be recognized as religious, as pious men. Their hearts were seeking only to honor themselves. This is plain if, if, if we want to turn and look in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 4. We'll see a parable told about the Pharisee and the tax collector.
Scripture says, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. One of the things I think that is so appalling about this prayer that is given in, in this parable is that the Pharisee is standing, boasting about his tithes, boasting about his fasting, and he's doing so in an open manner. He's using that open prayer to brag about himself, to draw attention to himself. It makes us wonder, who is he even doing these things for? Why is he offering this prayer? Is this prayer even a prayer to God, or is he merely standing there drawing attention unto himself? We have to wonder, is God his audience, or is it just those who are sitting within his hearing? I believe it's clear that he's either doing so for his own honor and his own glory, or maybe it's worse, maybe it's worse, maybe it's sadder than that. Maybe, he, maybe he's just doing it for the simple pat on the back that he's going to receive. Maybe just for that, that simple praise that he might receive or the elevation that he might receive in the eyes of others about how pious and how holy he is. Again, these are not the motivations of Christian fasting because Christian fasting avoids hypocrisy. We see in our fasting that while if someone finds out that we're fasting, it's, it doesn't discount or, or discredit what we've done, but we should not be seeking for others to know, seeking to make people think better about us by simply our engaging in fasting. Thirdly, Christian fasting tests our hearts and motives. We must understand that God sees and knows our hearts. If we, if we look in 1 Samuel chapter 16, 7, uh, in the second part of that verse, we, we see where Samuel has gone and he's looking at the sons of Jesse and he's looking at the stature. He's looking at the outward appearance. And he is told that the Lord sees not as man sees because man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. When we fast... We need to understand that God understands and knows our motives. He, he's able to look in. He's able to see our heart. He's able to see why we're fasting in the first place. And our desire for fasting should not be a desire, as I, as I said previously, for others to see. It's not so that we can feel better about ourselves. It is so that we can depend more on God, so that we can seek him out of our need out of our discomfort, out of 
putting aside those good gifts so that we can appreciate him more and we can pray and ask for more of him, ask for him to answer our prayers, ask for him to intervene in situations. We're doing so with a right heart. God knows and he sees in our hearts if we're seeking ordinary pleasures of, of, of applause. He sees if we're acting out of our own strength or we're, we're, we're seeking to do so for, for, for other selfish reasons. But he also sees when we do it out of our weakness, out of our need, in an expression to God to show him our great longing for him to act and intercede on our behalf or on behalf of others that we're praying for. And when he sees this, he responds. God acts. If we look in Daniel chapter 9, 3 through 5, many of you know the story of Daniel. You know that Daniel was being tested. And part of that testing had to do with uh, physical appearance and, and abilities and knowledge. And he chose to set aside the richness of the king's food and the king's drink, and he set those things aside in order to turn his face to God. So Daniel chapter 9, 3 through 5 says, Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy, with fasting, with sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenants and steadfast love with those who love him and keeps his commands or commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and your rules. As Daniel is seeking God, he has set aside the king's food. He has declared a fast in order to turn his face to God and seek him in prayer and pleas of mercy in the midst of his fast. And as we know from reading in Daniel, his prayers were answered. God responded to Daniel. God responded to him, earnestly seeking him in prayer and in fasting. So fasting tests our hearts, tests our motives. And number four, Christian fasting is rewarding. Now, the reward for fasting isn't necessarily going to be what we might expect. Sometimes when we say reward, sometimes we might think trophy. We might think monetary. We might think award as an applause or you know, an, an attaboy or a good job. That's not the sort of reward that, that we should be looking for to begin with, and that's certainly uh, not likely to be the reward that we're going to receive. Uh, and if that's your expectation, we can go back, maybe uh, have the sound guys rewind and just re-listen to points one, two, and three. That, that's the wrong heart. Those are the wrong motives. And as we think about the rewarding part of Christian fasting, John Piper helps us again by saying that um, the best place to find out the reward of our fasting is to look back into the Sermon on the Mount. For example, the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray in Matthew 6, 9 through 13 begins with three main longings. That being that God's name be hallowed and revered, that his kingdom come, and that his will be done on earth the way it is done in heaven. These are three of the main rewards that we see from praying and fasting. We fast out of longing for God's name to be known and cherished and honored, a longing for his rule to be extended 
and then consummated with his return of Jesus Christ, a longing for his will to be done on earth, here as it is in heaven, and everywhere, everywhere. All with the same devotion and energy. We, we want to show our, our, our appreciation and our love for God and worship him. For sure, there are many other things that we, we might mention that are specific answers uh, or, or specific things that we get through uh, fasting. We see answered prayer. And it's not wrong to specifically ask for God to help in, in certain areas of our lives or certain areas of our church or certain areas of our worlds. Those are the exact things that we should be doing as we're seeking God in prayer. We should be laying our hearts bare before him, expressing our needs expressing the needs of others, expressing how we want to see God's will done in our life and in our church and how we want to see him exalted, how we want to see his church growing, flourishing, and thriving. We should be praying for those things. But as an overarching theme, we want to make sure that as we pray, that we want to see his name hallowed. We want to see his will be done in his kingdom. And we want to see his will and way accomplished through the life of our church, through the life of us as individuals and in our world. And these things give us sort of a test to see that the things that we're longing for are things that are good, things that are right, things that, that we would be in agreement with, with God in our prayer. So in closing, as we look back at the, at the, at the four things that, that we've discussed, Christian fasting focuses first our attention on God. In Christian fasting, we, we avoid hypocrisy. And in avoiding hypocrisy, we, we do not seek again to, to see ourselves exalted. We, we seek to see God exalted. Christian fasting will test our hearts and test our motives. And lastly, we see Christian fasting as rewarding. So we'll look at one last passage tonight. Uh, as I close, and that's from Acts chapter 14, verses 21 through 23. And after they had preached the gospel in that town and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch, strengthening the disciples by encouraging them to continue in the faith and by telling them it is necessary to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church and prayed with fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they have believed. So we see the church praying, fasting, encouraging one another to continue in the faith and by going and telling. It's important for us <clears throat> to understand that fasting is an important part of the Christian life. But there are different types of fasts that we might undertake, as I mentioned. And it is okay, as we've seen here in Acts, for the church to undertake a fast together. You might be saying, well, you told me before we, we don't want to be doing things just to receive some sort of accolade or some sort of recognition. But we do have examples in Scripture where the whole church fasts together. 
And that's what we're talking about as we approach our 24 hours of prayer is we're talking about our church approaching our specific time of prayer with fasting together. It's important to note that as we do that, that might look differently. As we've said, or as I said earlier, there, there might be some of us who, who, who give up something good that God has given us to set that aside so that we can have more of God, more time with God. That doesn't necessarily have to be food. It could be some other good gift that God has given us. In Scripture, there's another example that Paul gives where husbands and wives set aside time apart from each other in relations for a time of prayer. I teased about giving up some video games and some time with electronics for kids, but that's certainly a good thing for kids to consider as they consider about how they might fast and focus on the Lord. As we consider this, I want us to know that if someone finds out that you're fasting or if they see that you fasted, you've not sinned, it's certainly not not, not a problem if it's, if it's found out. The value of your fast, again, is not destroyed if someone notices that you skip a lunch. And as we fast together as a church, we should be also not just praying for ourselves and fasting for ourselves, but we should pr- be praying for others who are fasting in the church. If our church determines to fast together and seek the Lord's guidance or intervention, it's certainly possible for us to fast like that as a church and not be fasting to be seen. There's a difference between being seen fasting and fasting to be seen. And at the root of that is the motivations of our heart. So I want to encourage the church, prayerfully consider fasting as we approach the 24 hours of prayer. Use the examples that we've seen in Scripture this evening. Daniel, outline that's been given by by Christ himself. Do so with the right heart. Do so with right motives. Do so with the expectation that God will respond and he will answer prayer. And do so for the glory of God and for the growth of of our faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your word. Lord, we thank you for the time that we have together to study your word. Lord, we thank you that as we move forward to our next 24 hours of prayer, Lord, that you've given us in in Scripture some guidelines, Lord, to, to pray and also to fast. Lord, and I would pray that there would be many who would undertake fasting leading up to the time of prayer. Lord, setting aside something that you have given us, a good gift that you have given us, Lord, so that we may have more of you. We pray, Lord, that as we do that, that our hearts would be pure, our motivation would be pure, and that we would seek you earnestly, Lord, to see you move mightily in our own lives, in the lives of this church, lives of our community, the city, and the world. We ask and pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. There. It is true, and it will never change. But then he says... Once God has spoken, twice I have heard this. Spurgeon says that we need to always be reminded and to be hearing again and again and again the things that God has said. How true that is. God has spoken to us in the Bible. 
we have here, the revelation of himself to us. And every time we read it, we are hearing what God has spoken. And the reality is, David would not know all of the things that he's already penned were it not that he's heard what God has said. And that's what I'm encouraging all of us with tonight. To be a Christian throughout a long life means there's going to be a lot of ups and downs. There's going to be some good times. There's going to be some hard times. And if we are going to get through all of it, if we are going to remain faithful to God through all of it, we need to keep our eyes fixed on what God has said. We need to know the truth about what God has revealed about himself. He says, once God has spoken, that was sufficient. That was all he needed to say. Twice I've heard this, that power belongs to God and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. For You will render to a man according to his work. What's interesting here is that he says in verse 11 and 12 that power belongs to God and that steadfast love belongs to him as well. These are two things that we see in the life of Jesus. We see that Jesus has power, but Jesus also has steadfast love. Jesus has power in that, think about the, the story about the, him with the disciples on the boat when the waves are crashing in and they're freaking out and Jesus is asleep in the bottom of the boat and they wake him up thinking that they're gonna die and Jesus simply says, be still. And creation obeys. We think about the, the story of of Lazarus, which I talked about last week as I was preaching, and how Jesus comes to the tomb where Lazarus has been dead for four days, and he says, Lazarus, come forth. And a dead man comes walking out of the tomb. And we hear the words of Jesus saying on the cross with the, the thief who is defending Jesus. He says, we are dying justly, but he is innocent. Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. Y'all, Jesus has power, but he does not use it for his own personal gain. He uses it for our gain. Jesus laid his power down at the cross so that you and I could be beneficiaries of that power. And that's what steadfast love is. You see, God could use his power to crush us. We are sinful. We don't deserve mercy, grace, or anything from God, but yet he is also filled with steadfast love. He loves his creation. He loves people that he has created in his image. And we see in the life of Jesus both that power that belongs to him, but also that steadfast love. And church, never forget that God has both power and steadfast love and he has used both of them to serve us. That's the God that David says in verse one, for God alone, my soul waits in silence. My salvation is from him. Church, when you understand where your salvation comes from, you will understand that he is absolutely worth waiting on. We don't like to wait for things. 
That's why Amazon now has next day delivery. If you have Amazon Prime, it's insane. We don't like to wait. But sometimes we have to. And I'm here to tell you tonight that God is the only one worth waiting on. He's worth it. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for the encouraging words from Psalm 62. And I don't know where everyone in this room is at right now, what they're dealing with, what they're struggling with. But I pray that they would read Psalm 62. They would know without a doubt that God is our rock. God is our refuge. He is our strong fortress. From you and you alone comes our salvation. God, we thank you for Jesus. And we see so clearly in him the power which belongs to you and the steadfast love which belongs to you. We thank you, God, that you have used both your power and your steadfast love, not to your advantage, but to ours. Your son laid down his life so that we may live. God, we thank you for Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.